Hello everyone, welcome back to another Fireside Chat. This is our Fireside Chat 34. And uh, today, what we would like to do is to talk about design up front. And this conversation was inspired by some internal uh, discussions we had about, we normally assume that design up front is a bad thing. And it's also known as the BDF, right? The big design up front, as people say. Uh, but what triggered us was how much planning do we actually need to do, both in terms of business, in terms of planning our uh, the work ahead of us, and also like uh, the technical side as well. And, and also there is a huge difference between talking uh, working in a, within a small team and working in a much larger organization where there are many things happening at the same time. But as always, I'm here with my uh, colleagues, Mashuk, uh, Jose, and uh, if you're new to this channel, so we always talk about things that we, we want to talk about, things that we normally enjoy a lot. Uh, it's part of our daily lives as, as, as developers, as uh, uh, managers of a consultancy. So if you like those chats, subscribe to our channel, hit the, the like button, and also leave in the comments which topic you would like us to discuss. So, uh, and we are, yes, we are live. It's good to see that we already have a few people uh, w w watching us live. Uh, so, so that's very cool. So if you want to interact with us, just leave us some, some comments on the live chat. So cool. Guys, uh, big design up front. So is it considered bad? And, and, and why is it considered bad? Let's start from there. Right, so let's just for, for maybe like younger developers or younger professionals, like why is this considered bad today? All right, so I think the, the I'll, I'll get this one, Matthew. You, Go for you're it. Normally, you're normally the one who starts, right? Um, so I think the problem in with design up front is the big part, right? What you're saying is the big design up front is, is the big part. Um, I personally think that there is some design up front that you need to do if you want to get to where you want to go. No, um, The problem is when you spend a lot of time designing and not a lot of time actually building the thing, um, especially when, it, when there's a lot of uncertainty in, in what you're doing because the, you're the fact that you're doing that at the beginning of the project, no, if you look at the project as a learning process, no, you're learning about the domain, you're learning about the system, you're learning about the solution, right? Is if you start designing what the solution looks like when you don't know anything, or at least when you know the least, uh, chances that whatever you design is going to be wrong uh, are are big, right? And and that's what I see as a problem uh, with that, right? Like I I. I actually believe that if you go down that route is usually more on, you know, trying to reduce the level of stress. So I'm going to plan everything. I know everything that's going to happen, et cetera. But that rarely is the case. Uh, I've never seen a, a project that, and I work in a lot of projects, but I've never seen a project that, you know, did the traditional analysis phase etc cetera, etc cetera, and ended up being exactly as it was uh, predicted right like uh, uh, as it was designed initially so yeah that's that's what i think like it, for me it's not so much the problem with design up front it's more about the big part how much of of that design should you do at the beginning uh instead of just finding out what the solution is and, and trying to get in there i've got a slightly different take by the way, on this, okay. in terms of why why it's considered bad, um, big is relative, right? Big. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Compared to what, right? <laughs> so, so I. But in terms of uh, uh, why it's considered a bad thing, I think it's a bit for knee jerk reaction as well to some level because before agile there was waterfall, you know. And in waterfall world, you you know there were distinct stages, and one stage was was design, right? So you kind of, you know, you and and let's for, for now for the purposes of this, I'm gonna kind of planning and design. There's a project planning aspect, and I'm sure we're gonna talk about as well. And then there is the design, you know, assuming you have all the 
the plan or you you understand the the problem domain and you're trying to design the solution yeah and in the waterfall world you know they try to understand everything and then so then uh, and then they try to design everything before they implemented everything right so so the feedback loops between the design stages uh, planning even and the implementation stages and verification and so on were huge right so and that's that's obviously bad because the problem with big upfront design or design a, 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 as a distinct stage and and a very large stage is that like all plans you know no plan survives the first first contact right but that does not invalidate the design effort. What the problem there always was that there was no feedback into evolving the design and often people ended up uh, working to a particular design that they already knew was not suitable for the problem given what they were doing. So, Just, so I think that's, that is a bigger problem with, with, with design upfront or that one was thing, considered. One thing, uh, when we're talking about design here, what are you putting in there? Like we're using the word, uh, what are you putting in there? Are you putting architecture? Are you putting, you know, classes, you know, the interaction diagrams? Like what, what is it that you will, yeah, this is you what, encompasses the, the design? It's a, it's a, it's yeah, a this is the question. question from Laura. Uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. There is, this is a question for Laura. Like she was, she was asking like, what do you mean with design at this stage? Software, pattern, yeah. architecture, everything. It's, it's a very good question, actually. And and when uh, if we if you take the context of the kind of waterfall world and even rational unified process that had quite distinct stages, although there was it was meant to be a bit more iterative, uh, it's it's all the way from um, from kind of high level architecture, like you know different systems interacting with each other, to class diagrams that were created to. To represent different modules and and the structure in classes and methods within that module as well so that's why kind of uml tools became quite popular in that era as well so when i'm talking about design big upfront design i'm talking about that whole thing taken to that level right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. This, is, way... this is actually now just just saying that this is where i, I actually when i started uh, i did a bit of waterfall but then most of my projects were already using rational unified process. And in there, we had, if I'm not wrong, were nine different types of diagrams. Uh, and we had like the state-based diagrams and behavioral type of diagrams. So we had sequence diagrams, but we have class diagrams, we have deployment diagrams. We have... So all, all that, sorts That's of... more UML than rational unified process per se, because rational unified process was more related to the, the kind of iterative, the inception and yes. design. But and then so we, we had those diagrams that we, diagram, we had yeah. to produce. Mm -hmm. And then we had like yeah. the, the UML was the, 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 the modeling language, if you like, uh, uh, used uh, in those projects but like just going back to the uh, Laura's question was like back then we would design everything up front from all the way to high level architectural concepts all the way down to class level and there were even like uh, tools that would uh, reverse engineer diagrams into code or vice versa right? spin out the code uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we would go from diagrams to, to uh, skeleton of classes. You know, we, uh, and I, I, I wrote a... I wrote generators for uh, rational rows that would create the classes based mm -hmm. on the UML. But just just to center <laughs> just to center this discussion, like uh, so, I think that it would be good just like to bring more to, towards the, the the current days, right? So uh, we know where we were coming from, and and basically like the the reason that design upfront uh, became uh, well, a lot of people don't like that. It became a bad word in a way. It was because we over overdone it uh, in the past, right? Or overdid it in the past. So, but like, if you bring that to today's world, that is more agile, iterative. We is do, do is that a place for design upfront? And, and and how much design upfront would be needed? And by by before we even say like it's like what kind of problems that we we have when we have the opposite? I think probably exactly better... because because this is the right, thing okay. we did, we overdid it in the in yeah. the past and we're overdoing it <laughs> today. Exactly yeah, because this, to be, this, that's what I mean by the knee jerk reaction. We we've, we've gone the other way. Yeah. yeah. So so way. we went to from big design upfront to no design at all. 
right? So, and, and I feel that Agile really drove that, you know, let's just keep iterating and stuff. And quite often, like I, I like to say that uh, after so many years with this very short-term view of very small iterations, one after another, we as an industry are losing the ability to design. And the question here is like the no design at all or just in time design, as I prefer to call it. Is that a problem with it? So what do you guys think in terms of how we do things today where teams just iterate? Well, I, short I, view. I think there's a there's a fundamental problem with this, right? It's 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 the material that you're using when change needs to be uh, uh, when change needs to be frequent. Right. So, uh, you know, you need a more malleable uh, material when you are trying out things quickly. <clears throat> so actually going straight down to the code, in my view, if you kind of start going down a particular road that you've designed, it's very difficult to then come out of it. You've introduced a bunch of interaction uh, abstractions. You, they're all interacting with each other. You've got tests. Hopefully you've written good tests more likely that they are pouring concrete all over that thing to be kind of bringing it all uh, more and more difficult to change. And you don't no longer think at a different level and you no longer uh, evolve the design quickly when you don't know enough, right? So, so my personal view is that actually just going straight to the code when you've got a fairly large problem to tackle is in fact as bad as 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 the other end where you were where people were spending months actually just staying in the the abstract world of boxes and arrows right so so i i think there's a there's a big problem with this because it actually you you, you kind of solidify certain areas that need to evolve much quicker and may evolve better on paper than they would in code and so there is there is definitely a problem with just going down to coding rather than thinking about even if it's just a, a bunch of boxes and arrows and quickly trying to understand what you're trying to create at different levels, right? If you don't do that and just go to code, I think there is, I think there is a problem there. And, then, and then it's even, it gets even worse if then you don't have the skills to be able to evolve whatever it is that you did into that, right? Like the whole refactoring aspect or refactoring to patterns or whatever, like th that already makes it even worse because then it just becomes patch on top of patch on top of, you know. and, and even refactoring at what level, right? Often people say, oh, yeah, refactor, but only refactored at the class level, right? But what about the module level? What about the higher levels, right? So, so you know, refactoring becomes more and more difficult the higher up the levels you go if you already have a lot of code to deal with. Yeah, I yeah. think that this is also related to, to what uh, uh, Laura was talking about, like the, the different levels, because I feel the same way. I'm not a, I'm not a believer uh, that we can apply the Big Bang uh, theory uh, for code. For example, you start with a very small, tiny class and you start TDDing that small, tiny class in the middle of your domain and all of a sudden that expands to become a enterprise system, right? So I, I'm not a believer that. Although theoretically possible to do that, this is probably one of the most inefficient way of growing a system, right? So I think we need to distinguish the the kind of uh, environment that you are in. One thing is like you are doing, you are writing a piece of code alone or with a small group of people, maybe a pair, maybe three, four people, and you are exploring, you are just trying out a small thing. That is one kind of scenario. The other scenario is like you are working on a much larger platform or product, uh, you have multiple teams in parallel. Uh, there is a lot of uh, investors or different stakeholders. So a lot of people collaborating in many different ways. So doing that with absolutely no planning, just every single developer uh, from different teams trying to do small iterations with absolutely no vision, no high-level guidance, I think that is a huge mistake. Is 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 That's why we still have a lot of... Uh, bad systems being written even when they are using agile methods today because like you can iterate in small iteration but if you just if your if your vision is limited to two weeks or one week and you have a lot of people with very short-sighted vision coordinate all of that you end up in a big mess because some of the 
the decisions, mainly when you're talking about architecture, technologies, uh, parallelizing, working across people, the, the kind of investment that is needed uh, also to, to, to create a system. Uh, if you're going to do cloud, if you're going to uh, use buy an off the shelf or integrate with a CRM or, or so, all of those kind of decisions, like larger architectural decisions, they cannot just emerge from is it a, uh, a small um, class. Uh, I think it's, uh, is it Martin Fowler that has, you know, architecture is like the decisions that are hard to change afterwards, something like that. I don't remember mm -hmm. what the mm -hmm. exact phrase is, but um, I, I completely agree with that. And for me, the whole, how much planning is needed you know, to, to some extent, it goes in levels. Like at the beginning of the, of the thing, you need to understand, you know, what shape it has so to speak you no know, like it, 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 you know like big boxes like this part here is going to deal with x no this part is going to deal with no and and kind of understand the the at least at a in a broader sense what the thing is that's not a lot of planning ahead it, you know you can get that in a in a drawing board on no, a no, whiteboard pretty quickly you no know, and and put it to the test so that's something that needs to happen at the beginning and also choosing you know so there are certain things that you you can choose or you decisions that you need to make from the beginning that are difficult to change but they're quick to be made at the beginning right without going into too much detail yeah and, and, you, need, and you, you need no sorry go on no continue no, no, but, but, but if you if you don't have that picture of how everything needs to look, uh, you know, at the macro level, Speed together. then exactly the, the, the whole picture, then it's very difficult. You know, when you go and start with your class, etc., to know where you're going to end. Right. And, and where you need, you know, where certain responsibilities lie. Et and that I think is the, the mistake, right? Like going into the code without having that picture recipe for a disaster. If you do, at least you, you get some, uh, resemblance of cohesion between the systems no that then you can kind of refactor into proper design that's that's my impression if, actually i was i was thinking exactly that that i had um there is um there is a picture that christopher alexander who sadly died last week actually uh, or this week earlier um he he talks about complexity within dependent forces within the system Right. And, and basically what we call that coupling and cohesion. And you mentioned, mentioned that. And the, the, the thing is that if, as Sandro said, if you start from the minutia and you start building this thing out, you haven't decided where the modules are. The modules, basically, they provide the boundaries where you have relatively low coupling. Right. And within it, you have high cohesion, which means you have high coupling within that module. Right. But if you do everything without creating these boundaries or having some sense of these boundaries, what you're going to do is everything is going to be kind of coupled in an ad hoc way. And what you because they just need to be, you know, this thing needs to talk to that thing over there and you make that direct connection rather than through a well-defined boundary. And when you don't have those boundaries defined, then to define them later on and then but and then evolve your system so that, that they represent that kind of evolution, it becomes really difficult, right? At the, at the paper level, at the design level, at the boxes and arrows level, you can create a lot of these things and start reasoning what belongs there, what belongs here, this, you know, the kind of domain-driven design and all these things come to mind, right? You can already start reasoning about your models and you can change them at will. But when they start becoming enshrined in code is not as easy to change right so yeah. that, that's why sorry go on no 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 sorry i, I thought you were done Mash. no no I, I was just gonna say and, and that's why like creating um code without even thinking about design makes things very very difficult for you to then evolve to something better yeah so i think that the a big uh an important point in here is uh, to which level do you do those things and how far you go with those things. So, for example, uh, having a, a general picture, I think that is quite uh, important. So before, even if you are working on your own, and, and believe me, like I had my own startup way before Cojudens, uh, and I made loads of mistakes. Uh, 
And one of them is just like not having a, a much bigger picture, both in terms of business and technology. And so like, okay, like, fine, I'm working with my own, my own thing alone. But you need to have a view, unless you are just having fun on your own, that is okay. But like, if you're really trying to make something commercial, that you have an investment and you need a return, either yourself or someone else, uh, you need to have a plan. And the mistake, I think, is to go too low level in that plan. First of all, you don't need, certainly don't need to go to the class level if you are trying to build a big project, a big, big product. But what Mesh was saying, for example, having boxes and arrows, maybe like someone in the chat now, I think that, uh, who was it? I think that uh, Javier Chacana mentioned domain-driven design. So having an idea of what are the bounded contexts do I have? What are the core areas of the system that I have? Who are the main actors that are going to be using the system? Do I have one type of actor or do I have multiple type of actors? What do they need from the system? What kind of things change together? What things should be changed in isolation? Uh, how easily can I parallelize work? Because for me, one of the big things about uh, having some planning up front, and, and that includes business in terms of what features do we build next, but also technical design in terms of what, how we are going to build those things. Uh, one thing that is important is how much work can we parallelize, right? So how much work can we keep independent from each other? And, and these kind of things is not expensive to do up front because as I said, just boxes and arrows, a whiteboard, we don't need to go down to the level of classes or methods. It's just boxes and arrows. This helps us to validate what we're trying to build Decide where we're going to start from. What should be contained in each area of the system? Who is going to be working on that? Because some of, some of the systems also have a different level of expertise as well. I think that in that uh, uh, book, uh, what is it called, Mash? That we, uh, team, team topo team's topology. Team topology. Uh, team topologies. Team topologies. It's a great book, by the way. Uh, so, like, for example, it talks about... Uh, what is it called? What's the name? Specialized subsystem, uh, something like that. But yeah. for example, yeah. yeah, depends on which system that we are building. Different parts of that system, they need a completely different type of skill set or technology. If you're mixing AI uh, or, or, or mobile, or if you are deploying parts of the system in a, in a TV box or something like that, you need to have that vision. You need to yeah. understand who needs to work where, right? There, there, there is a question by Anthony here. Like when we talk about design, are we talking about the whole project or a particular or a single service? And I, I, in my view, it's both. In fact, one thing to talk about, yes, you need the, the higher level kind of boxes. You know, if you if multiple teams are working with each other, you you know, you got a very complex system. You need to understand what goes where and all those kind of things. But even within a particular service, let's say that is within a particular team, you still need design because you need to communicate an intent to other people in your team because they're also working while you are working, right? So if, you know, if you say, well, design is emergent, you know, they're all going to come up with their own You know what else emerges? Chaos. Chaos, exactly. <laughs> and that is chaos because, <laughs> like, I mean, if, if no one knows what the other is doing within a team, that's not a team, right? And they, they're not going to be able to work together. So design is absolutely essential even within the context of a service. And I'm purposefully not using the word microservice. <laughs> no, you know, because... Uh, this is the, there, there's another aspect to this, which is when I was talking about the, the big picture and so on, we do inceptions and we do discoveries and all these things to sort of scope out you know, the, the amount of work that needs to be done. And this is something that happens in every organization that, that builds software or, or should happen in every organization that builds software, whether you're a consultancy like us or if you're building a product internally, right? Like you want to know, you know, what is this going to cost me, right? Like, what is the size of this? How many teams do I need working on this thing and so on? And those kind of questions. How much can, How much can I do in parallel or I need to serialize? Or, or I need to, exactly, right? So, so th those kind of questions, by having the, the big picture, you can 
kind better estimate, let's say, right? Like, and and you know, that's a that's a different thing. No, but you you can do better guesswork, let's say, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but if you don't have that, it's it's very now. The the issue sometimes is that that is very uh, linked to um, stakeholders, deadlines, budgets, commitment. No, and it's not something. And I think this is this is coming from the agile world. You know, going to the again to the extreme of no, we'll just write code and work on the right thing, and then you know we'll deliver value. We'll deliver value. Yes, but that's not the way that a business works, right? And people tend to run away from that commitment and tend to like avoid making the decision, especially in, on the development side. No, so it, it is needed, but it's not very comfortable to you know because you're making decisions and you can make wrong decisions. I've made you you mentioned uh, the startup before, and I was laughing because I also have lots of lessons learned from uh, from previous uh, companies that I've started. So so. You know, from picking the wrong technology to all, all sorts of shit, right? So, and then having to deal with it. And then knowing that it's the wrong technology, pushing forward, <laughs> you know, things like that. So, uh, so yeah, it is it, it is there. It's it's linked to having that big picture is, is trying to answer as well other questions that don't necessarily need to go into the detail, right? It's more on the business side than, than on the technical side. Yeah, you know, like, like uh, I'm looking at the, the chat here. Domicio had a, a point in here. So he was saying, like, you can talk about components and modules without bringing microservices into the picture. Microservices is a way of de- uh, deploying a component. The most important thing is that they are isolated, in my opinion. So so I would like you to, to tackle this one, because, like, when you are doing this exercise, these boxes and arrows, as Mesh said, and you are trying to define the high-level bounded context, the actors, how they interact with the system and stuff. Quite often, what you will feel, what what you will see is uh, the degree of uncertainty that you have in some of those bounded contexts. And also, like, uh, sometimes there there will be areas of the system that you need to build that you understand very well, or at least you don't foresee any difficulties in implementing while there might be a few areas that you say, look, this is for me is a question mark. I have absolutely no idea how we're going to tackle that. Uh, we, we're going to use a, a library, a product, or, or whatever. There is a big question mark. And there's also, as we are trying to separate those different modules, uh, given the different criteria that we use for that, we can even talk about that a bit. Uh, but like, uh, you don't know, for example, if, you, well, you can have an idea of how talkative those different areas of the system are. For example, if you have two areas, A and B, how how intertwined are they? Do they change together? Do they talk to each other very often? Uh, So, and if you are not quite certain, uh, going back to the microservices question, like you might make those decisions given the degree of certainty or knowledge that you have, you might say, you know what? These two areas of the business is very safe for me to keep them completely separate and have completely separate teams working on it, and we create an API in the middle. But there might be areas of the system that, at that point in time, we are not quite so sure. So maybe it would be worse as, you know what, let's put those two or three bounded contexts within the same deployable, and and wait, start iterating, start, let's, let's see how they evolve. And then, at a later stage, we make a decision if we remove one uh, or more uh, bounded context to its own service, but but these these exercise of doing some analysis up front is also important for that. And and I remember like some of the uh, uh, e-commerce uh, projects that we worked on in the past. E-commerce they 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 follow some very <laughs> standard rules. For example, I know that my payment area should be decoupled from how we do catalogs. For example, we should not have them in the same program. It would be a safe bet in keeping them completely separate in separate bounded contexts, separate services, and have different teams working on them, right? But if you say within payment, we have fraud detection, we have payment gateways, we might have a question mark in there. Oh, how how are we going to do fraud detection? How are we going to do 
uh, all the multiple payments that we might have. How we are going to deal with the PCI compliance if we are storing credit card data. So that at the very beginning of the system might not be so clear. If you can further break down the, the payment area, you might decide to say, you know what, let's keep everything together. We know that those, there are those bounded contexts and subcontexts, but let's keep them together. Let's put a team on there and we keep evolving and then we, we defer that decision. But that this decision up front is quite important. It's deciding how yeah. many teams you can it, have. It, it's so important. Sorry. Go, go on, go, go on. No, just just a quick thing. It's so important that a lot of times, you know, when you're not sure about those things and you make the wrong decision, you end up with the with the distributed monolith kind of thing. Right? Like if you're not sure, but you still split things because you know the the rule of thumb is everything needs to be a different uh, service, no, and you don't understand very well your domain or you don't understand very well the context, and then you're you're splitting things. And then you're creating more problems for yourself by introducing, you know, complexity that, that is not neither. So it's also very important to understand what the big picture is without, you know, uh, let's say focusing too much on the on the details and figuring out the details as you go. And the important thing is having the tools, and this is what I was referring to also with the refactoring and stuff like that. Right? It's like having the tools to be able to change things when you need them to change, right? So if you're putting a lot of uh, things together, have them well-structured so that if you need to, then you, and, and you want to break it out into a different thing, then you can do that as well. So there, there is a, uh, some forethought and, and planning that needs to happen in order to do that, right? Like you, you are constantly going back and forth into hey this is a big picture yeah oh how is it changing no like this is what i'm doing now if you know we go this route or this route would it be better if i keep it like this or if i keep it like this no and and having the tools to make those changes as you're going along and that's that's quite important because it you know the architecture is going to emerge no so so to speak but if you don't have the tools then it's it's not going to be the architecture that you want to to emerge right like it's it's going to be something there, else. there there are there are degrees of separation basically i mean you know you you look at at you can separate things even different lines of code are sep a degree of separation all the way through uh, methods or functions to classes to packages to uh, modules and then to deployment units and to systems right and these are and at each level, there are, a, there, there are two major things. One is that you, at the lower levels, it's easier to move things around. At higher levels, it's less easy right? to, to move things around, to re, repurpose things. right? So that's one thing. The other thing is that at lower level, the interactions are specific. And at higher level, they need to be general. So you should think about... Uh, architecture is basically trying to hedge bets, right? So when you talk about high-level architecture, when you talk about a contract that you cannot change too often, you make that contract as general as possible, and that will help you with the change. And at a lower level, when you can change things really quickly, you make the contracts as specific as possible because that will help you change quick. Right, so so the decisions are different as well at different levels, and this is this is the reason that you need to you need to be careful when, as, as Sandra was saying, that when you are unsure about certain interactions, when you are unsure on on where the boundaries should be defi defined, what things need to live together and what things need to stay apart. When you're unsure, you keep it to a point where both you are dealing with really specific things and things that are very quick and easy to to change in terms of their responsibilities. Yeah, I would like just to, uh, I like the, the how you said, Mesh, that, that architecture is about hedging or design is about hedging bets as well, right? So we are trying to cater for a few specific problems. And just try to summarize, like, so that we can uh, move on with the discussion, like uh, one of the advantages of doing some design upfront, and by the way, uh, design upfront, we are not talking about going all the way to the class level. We are talking about very high level strategic design, understanding everything that needs to be built. Uh, so 
there are things like leveraging technology. So, for example, uh, would we be uh, leveraging the a cloud, uh, for example, for our deployment and production environment? Would we be leveraging uh, a product, a CRM, or something like that? Um, there is also an aspect of how much can we do in parallel, right? So how much parallelization, how many teams can we have working separately and autonomously? Uh, or what do we need to serialize? So because this design upfront also helps us to say, look, we cannot start working in uh, B if A is not built yet, or it will be very difficult for us to do this way. So there is a certain order that you prioritize according to that analysis, if you like, not only design, but the, the full analysis. Um, but there was a question uh, from, uh, where was it? From Muhammad. Uh, he, he, he had a very uh, interesting question that we probably could tackle. He says, like, what derives system boundaries? Is that the team structures? So this is an exercise that we do a lot in our discoveries uh, or inceptions for projects. Uh, Defining those system boundaries is very complicated. It's more an art than a science. And there is not a single perspective. What we learned, uh, Mohammed, was that there are multiple perspectives that you need to have. One, for example, that, that we call is the, the different actors. For example, how many actors do we have interacting with the system? Are they different? For example, some of them are external, some of them are internal. Uh, I'll give you, like, maybe just to, 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 to clarify the example, let's take a CRM. And this is a real case from a client that we had in the past. They were an online fashion store. Yeah. So, for example, they had some users that were just normal buyers, they would go to the website to buy clothes. That is one set of actors. But they had uh, some users, internal actors that we call, that were uh, responsible for creating a product. So, so which clothes would be sold, right? Would clothes, would, which clothes they would manufacture and they would be available to be sold in different markets. So that is a different type of actor. Then there was a type of actor that they were the fashion experts. They would take the whole set of products and they would create the catalogs. So, for example, the summer catalog in Spain was different from the winter catalog in Brazil because we are in different hemispheres. So, given the same product base, different experts would create those catalogs or whatever, which product would be available in one country would not be available in a different country, maybe because of the costumes, the, 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 the culture of the company or the, the, the country or whatever. There were price specialists, people that were just specialized in price. They sold products across almost a hundred countries. So, so this is just a few examples. I'm keeping it that simple, but I can go on forever in the list of different actors that they had. So all, each one of those actors, they need a different thing from the system. So this is one single perspective of dividing the system boundaries. Another boundary is data. Who owns data and who needs data? And owning data means who can change data and who needs to consume that data. Right, so the example of the fashion experts, they need product information to create a catalog that would be specific for a country. So they own catalog data, so they can create a subset of products that will be available for a period of time in a country, but they don't own product data. There are all the products that are manufactured by that company. So, so that understanding of who can do what also helps with the, the, the context. There is also an element of uh, security legislation, uh, for example, BPCI compliant. If you are holding data that is sensitive, that cannot leak, and they need a higher degree of security or compliance, that is a separate, more technical requirement that you also helps you to isolate data. So also what changes, another uh, perspective is rate of change. How, how, what changed together, what changed separately, 
So this is another perspective. And so what changes more more often? You know, exactly. I mean, there, so there's many ways in which you can. Are, but are but you examples. know what, Sandro? The the thing is, you're describing the ways that we would look at it, and we would try to find what the best way to let's say split the streams of work uh, would be. Uh, but in most organizations, that doesn't happen in that way. Like there's the and this is part of what we bring in no like that look of okay so it, it really makes change it really makes sense to do it this way or, the, or that other way you know and and you have all of these options yeah. most of the time is you know teams components that's that's what i see no like we own this component but changing things in this component or in this set of components doesn't really affect the the end or give you the 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 end value that you're looking for right and it happens a lot like that right like the structure of the organization kind of sets the uh the, the divisions in the software no the conway's conway's law uh in yeah. this case right they, so, they, it, it depends on how the components have been sliced through as well right you know to talk about that kind of vertical aspect that you know the components you can they can be based around capabilities or based around certain groupings of features right so so which way you go so that you can provide um kind of end-to-end -end value to the customer rather than be dependent on all lots of other teams in order to to create this end-to-end -end value and that's where things go wrong when you have to do that and that's why you know in the team topologies as well you know you've got this kind of feature teams but you may have complex subsystems that complex are more subsystem. More, that's I, I'm not even still not sure if that's the right term, Sandra. But I think, I, I think it is. Like that's what I remember. Complex oh, okay. subsystem. So so but but yeah. So so that's you know the, it's it's basically how how you you divide right. So you you have to basically what you're trying even with the teams. And I think it is important to consider teams when you are dividing systems. Uh, because what you are trying to do, teams are like software systems. You're trying to make them loosely coupled and and cohesive. High because cohesive. you understand, yeah. you understand that you know uh, they, the more they have to interact with other teams, the more synchronization that needs to happen. The more complex the organization gets, and consequently, the more, of course, the more the complex the systems are as well. So you're trying to to kind of create that thing and. And yes, when you are dividing or understanding all these different responsibilities around around who owns the data, what are the regulatory requirements, what changes with what, because the, all these 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 are aspects that you consider. Uh, uh, I was gonna. Uh, Mohammed Sufyan asked a question around, and I, I love the term that you have. If your systems are already in ginger shaped, and I thought maybe that was a typo, but I don't think it's a typo. Right, it's uh, it's actually a, a real. Uh, if you think about it, you know, it's that's what it means. The things are just kind of slapped on top of each other. Clarify that to me, like ginger shape. A ginger, a ginger is if you think about what does a piece of ginger look like? It's like so, a ginger house or a no no not a ginger so, house the ginger the root ginger itself right it's it, <laughs> it has okay. modules on top of modules right <laughs> growing in all sorts of different directions <laughs> okay i see i so, see so i never heard that the question before. is like you know if the systems are, is you know it's grown in every which way and now you have to you start thinking about boundaries within that and how do you do that? And that's a difficult problem indeed. But there's there's a lot of strategies around it, right? You know, you you have to first of all go back to the drawing board, and this is again the the big up. Uh, what is the big design picture? Front. Where do that's, you want to go? Like, what, what, yeah, what, exactly. What's your in, vision? In general Wait. terms, where where is it going? No, and this relates to another question that Anthony was asking. No, like if you advocate on not making. Uh, technical decisions no at that level and so on and that this is precisely that okay so you can say hey we need to move to the cloud and not have to choose with cloud provider it is that you're going to be moving on at that stage right like once you understand a bit better you can make those decisions you can even have multiple cloud providers uh, at the same time depending on on what you need right but but that is that is the idea but you need to have a direction of 
where you want to go. Without that, and and I think you know to to the question that Mohammed was saying, uh, it's ginger shape because there was no direction that people could follow. Because if if people have that clear direction, even if they're using different technologies, even if they're using you know different, if they're organizing the the code base differently it sort of goes in the direction that you want to, right? And then you can <laughs> you can shape it or, or mold it a little bit. The problem is when everyone's going in a different route, that is a that is a big problem. No? Especially if they're all trying to solve the same problem, you know, different different ways. Yeah, so so I believe that from the tone of the conversation, I think that we all think that uh, a, a good degree of uh, des design up front, design up front. running up front is needed. I think that we also agree that... Uh, at which level it should be. Because I think that what is quite important here is that every activity that we do should have a purpose, right? We should be trying to solve a problem. So if you are trying to do some design up front, we don't do that for the sake of doing it. We do that for this, uh, because we are trying to solve a different problem. As I mentioned before, like we are trying to plan uh, who can work in parallel or leverage technology and so on and so forth, everything that we discussed before. So we should just do enough to answer those questions, either to create a direction, either to re realize which technologies we should use, how we're going to split our teams, what we're going to do. In so that is always the goal. We should have a few questions that we want to answer. And uh, the level of design that, the, that, that we do should be just enough just to answer those questions and not precisely answer, at least to give us enough to move forward. We don't need, we, we cannot, because there's always the danger that once we answer, we answer a, a question, we have two other questions at a lower level, right? So we need to also calibrate, okay, do we have enough to get started? And now that we have the teams working in parallel or we, we have a, a, our plan of attack, if you like, uh, we can start moving and then leave all those lower level questions to be answered by the different uh, teams and, and so on. On, on right? that point, there is another thing like you don't have to answer the question there, but you can put in place experiments to answer the question, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. then you can go and say, OK, why don't we do a spike? and figure out, I don't know, which component we need to, let's evaluate this, this, and this, right? And and see, you know, which one we want to take, you know? And, and you can start taking steps into increasing your knowledge about what the best decision uh, would be, right? And yeah. that, I think, is also something that people miss. They make the decision at the beginning where they don't know anything, you know? And then even if, they, even if what they're seeing... Uh, you know, is telling them otherwise. No, uh, that that's they, they're not changing it. No. Yeah, uh, and this this is the problem uh, as I, as I mentioned with uh, with waterfall, right? Because there's only one design stage. You know, you just got the designs that you know you kind of have to deal with. Basically, there is another element in design, right? Somehow people think that actually design is some is is a separate. Um, thing from from soft writing software you are writing software even when you are writing it on a piece of paper right you're always writing software you're using different mediums in a way to design you design at a high level you go you help that guide the lower levels but then you have to come back up otherwise you are then stuck you have to have the feedback and then again design at the high level evolve the design at, at, at different levels because it's conceptually, you have to constantly go down into the detail and come back up into the higher levels, right? This is how art is created, right? You know, like the person, they, they're writing, doing that small brush there, but they're constantly looking out to see where, where the picture is now, right? And, and, and going back down in, into that. And this, that is in, in effect design. And so, so is software. Your medium is different and you have multiple mediums, right? But you have to keep coming up and going down and you have to, to keep these iterations going and not but, just get stuck in one place, basically. But you know what Bertrand Mayer would, would say? That happens because the, 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 there is a separation between your design and your code. If you if you were using design by contract, your code will be the design. <laughs> Therefore, there was no there's no mismatch between the two, right? 
so so there's this there's that aspect as well of the limitations of the tools that that we exactly. have, no, the malleability of the tool, exactly yeah. to, to represent the the big picture and the detail at, at the same time, no, yeah. and, and yeah. I I would like to just to like conscious of time. Uh, I would like to move to to another area, but before I do that, I just want to say, Emmanuel, I saw your question. Like you asked, like what would be the strategy to partition equipment? And that they were subsystems based on this overview. I'm not. I'm not sure if I fully understand your question. So if you want to refine that a little bit, uh, uh, then we, we we can address that. But while you do that, uh, the, one of the questions that I had here is, who should do that design upfront? So, for example, as we have more people involved, because like also like we have the also this is a, the architect. Right. That's what, that's what we are. <laughs> so so th th this is an interesting thing, because like uh, what I see, the reason I'm asking this question of who should do that is because you cannot. You need to have a criteria to also uh, decide how much design you need to do up front and also how far do you go with that design and that criteria needs to be aligned with the priorities of the business as well. You need to have a high level picture. Let's say that you have a product. Yeah, you're building a software. This software has real needs, like users will be using that or the internal or external users, doesn't matter, right? So uh, so there is a business priorities uh, that, that you want to, to understand. And then there are the technical implementation of that. So the, 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 the question here is like, who should be, driving that what is the what is the role what part should a developer take in this kind of scenario in understanding the business priorities and defining technical change within the team and across teams so that's my oh, question well, what part well the way the way i see it is that you know the 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 problem problem and solution don't cannot live apart right so the 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 problem kind uh, domain as it were or problem space is 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 a part of the solution space and and they they actually interact with each other the solution impacts the problem and the problem of course is uh, the it's uh, impacts the solution so if as i mean everyone should understand things at at different levels but like for example for developers who are who are tasked with creating the solution if they don't understand the pro problem they cannot create a solution and they need to understand the problem not just at a rudimentary level they or they or not just at the piecemeal level like i just need to do this because i'm told to do this they need to understand the problem holistically in fact, they need to understand the business and how how what they are creating is serving that business and helping it it grow. I, they even I, need to understand the strategy going forward because that helps them understand the design and the places where it needs to flex because they can look ahead with the get, taking the strategy of the business. I, I would annotate that because it's not like they cannot create a solution. They cannot create a good solution or the, or the most effective solution. And this is the, this is the problem. Like you can still go and do, you can stuff. solve some problem. Yeah. You just don't know <laughs> exactly. what it is. It might, exactly. It might <laughs> not be the problem that you think you're solving. No, <laughs> not even, right? So that, that's the thing, right? Like it, it, that perspective. So, the question was, you know, who should, you know, what levels of interaction should they have and, and who should kind of uh, be involved in that process, either designing it or... or yeah, or what, what role the developer should play. What role should they play, no? So, so as, as a developer, at least understanding what that vision is, that's number one. Then you can influence that and you can shape it at different uh, levels, yeah? So maybe if you're in a super big organization, uh, you may not be able to affect that much the macro, but at the system level that you're working on, or even at the you know component level, you can make better decisions if you understand what 
you know what everything looks like right or or how or which direction you want to go uh technically or te you know technologically or whatever right so those things can already make help you let's say make better decisions so one is understanding to to be able to and then affecting it and having that vision you may be able to point out uh specific um details that were not taken into consideration when when things were were being designed at the macro level because again it happened at the it happened at the point where we knew the least about the system so now we know a little bit more you know you can feed that back into into that design process at at, uh, at the greater level no and and i feel like that's something also that people tend to not do at all right like either the people that are let's say that have the governance over the architecture don't listen yeah or people directly don't provide that feedback or don't even understand how that how their feedback could help shape that decision right and that's also kind of a dysfunction right we talked about this when we talked about you know our architects uh, uh are needed or, or i don't remember what the name of architects but, needed yes exactly or something like that but that is part of the issue. Do, do we right? need like, architects? That do, is, we need, uh, do we need architects? Episode number five. Yeah. So so again, it's um, it, it's that communication aspect that needs to happen uh, as well. Uh, but you, we can have a good conversation if we are not both talking about the same thing. Uh, no, if you're looking at the detail and then I'm looking at the mark, that's not going to help, right? We need to have that common shared on the that common understanding. To be able to have a good conversation. Yeah, one thing that really frustrates me uh, is when I hear developers saying, "Hey, I don't want to do business analysis. I don't want to to understand the requirements. This is not my job. I just want to write code, uh, or I want to do design and architecture, but I don't want to do analysis." So, and for me, that that puzzles me because how do you believe? How do you think that? your analysis or, or your architecture proposal will be accepted if you don't understand the problem. If you show zero interest in the actual business problem that you are trying to solve. So this for me is such a big mismatch, but unfortunately I still see that uh, very, very often. People saying like, uh, you know what, business analysis is not, uh, uh, not my job. I don't want to spend all my time trying to understand what we need to do. So if you don't want to spend time understanding what you need to do, the only thing that's going to happen to you is someone is going to tell you what to do. <laughs> that, that's no other uh, option. And you will be frustrated because you are going to be trying to do things that no one values because you don't understand what needs to be done. So then you are trying to do things that you feel that is important and no one else agrees with that. Right, so this is, this is what, what I see a lot. Uh, and, and then developers blame the business that they just don't get it, but they don't make the effort to understand the business. So, because ultimately, like one thing that needs to be said, the only reason that we build software is to, is to solve business problems, unless that you are working on, on your bedroom, just having fun with technology. If you're, but like mostly in the working environment, you're paid to, to do a job and that is to solve business problems. And if you don't understand that, or if you don't have the curiosity to understand that well, there's no way that your architectural solutions and big designs and, and ideas will be taken seriously if you are not involved in the business discussions. And, and also the amount of design upfront that you do needs to be aligned to the next steps of the business as well, because you cannot be analyzing and create a big design uh, uh, architectural strategy to something that the business is not prioritizing. Right? You know, so there that, is... The there's something that has been said in the comments as well, which I think impacts a lot what we're talking about here, which is the rotation in the industry. And I was going to say, this is a big topic. Maybe we should do a, a fireside chat on it. Is that the retention? Oh, do we park that's it? a very, do we park very it good question. That, that is a very good question. I actually think that that's a, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a fireside chat, isn't it? I mean, let's, it's, let's, let's write it down and... and uh, for, for people listening, it's... Uh, uh, what was the question? Practice. I'm just trying to find on the chat here. Uh, or the, the in comments. order to see the impact of design decisions, one has to stay in an organization for some time, but average retention in the industry is decreasing. 
Oh, I see. That's from Mohammed as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah that, that's a very good point, Mohammed. Uh, that, that's a good point. It's one that bears a bit of thinking about because it's actually, can you learn? Of... Can you learn about the decisions that you're making today? If the impact, if you're not going to be there to see the the impact that those decisions are going to have, so well, that, well, but but like... the thing is, we have to deal with this all the time because this is why yeah. I think this is a very good topic for a FISA chat because as consultants. Right. And often we do get blamed like, yo, you know, you're not going to be living with the decisions that you make. But, you know, yeah, you I are just an external entity that comes in and then exactly, goes away. Exactly. Exactly. Goes but away it's actually our, our job to make the right decisions so that we, we as a company, we are living with the decisions you, we make because we we live on word of mouth and people who recommend us. Right. So if we go there and do something that then causes impact that is not desired later on when we are not there, we, we will still hear about it and we will suffer from it as well. But, but we have to deal with that problem is that, you know, often we are on projects for one year, two years, sometimes longer, but you know, a couple of years, maybe a bit more, a, a two year project in a consultancy world is, is quite a long project. Right. And, and then as, uh, as Mama Sufyan said, you know, that you have, uh, now the retention, like I, we were looking at the retention figures in the UK, I think it's less than two now, right? It's so retention years, yeah. averages are very low in the IT industry. And how is that impacting the decisions and, and the understanding that people have of systems and how they can take that, mm -hmm. use that understanding to create, create, to evolve systems towards the better, right? And that's a big question, I think. Yeah, so guys, like we've been talking for like uh, an hour now. So let, let's try to wrap up. So what would be the, the, the final words uh, for this episode? So uh, is design upfront really a bad thing? Uh, so that was the, the, the initial question that we started from. Oh, yeah, it's very bad. <laughs> if you don't do it right yeah. you <laughs> design you all the way <laughs> if you build it they will come <laughs> no I, I guess we we all agree that some level of design upfront is needed uh that going to the that the extremes are not good yeah and we tend to see extremes very often yeah and that it really depends on what questions you're trying to answer based on that you know different levels uh, where you're doing that design are you know are necessary right like it's not the same if you're trying to scope out a project or see how it fits in the big picture or you know make some technology uh, decisions yeah those are different questions that you need to answer and they they require different levels of abstraction for your design you know um and yeah you need to be aware of that and and then the again i'm, I'm kind of summarizing a lot of the stuff that mm -hmm. we so just uh, and then uh what role do you play as a developer well you need to understand what that big picture looks like so that uh, you know when you're making decisions at whatever scope you're working at you can make the best decisions according to where we're going right if you don't have that you end up with you know ginger <laughs> Ginger systems, <laughs> no, <I laughs> ginger-shaped systems, no. Uh, I, I learned, I learned a new new term today. I didn't know that. So thanks, Mohammed, because I, I didn't know about the ginger. the ginger ginger shape. Yeah. Mesh, uh, final words. Final words are that you know design is not apart from aside from creating software. It's part of creating software, and. It's, it's another medium in which you express your intent and that then eventually translates into code. It's, it has strengths and weaknesses, just like code has strengths and weaknesses. So if you, if you don't create that right balance, you have to use all these different tools and, and just using one tool for everything obviously is not gonna get you there anywhere fast, right? So you have to do, use the right tools for the right job, right? Uh, there are other aspects, like when we talk about, we talk about classes and all the, these kind of things and of design, but actually exploring the, the problem space is also part of design and how you explore it, you know, sketch maps and product backlogs and all those sort of things that we haven't had the time to talk about. They are also part of design. Understanding the problem is part of design. So all these things matter. And as you said, you know, 
there is no such thing as business analysis is not part of my job. Yeah, so I uh, just like uh, Artemas just put something uh, uh, in there that I would like to add uh, and is aligned. So he says, like, as a dev, uh, no business context of the problem equals no direction in designing. Very this well is ex yeah. Exactly. This is exactly what I would add. Uh, I didn't want to repeat what you both said, but like what I would add is exactly that is like uh, if you want to have a seat on the table, if you want to drive changes, if you want to push technology, technical changes you need to bring something to the table and in order to do that you need to understand which problem you are trying to solve you need to understand what is the business needs what are the business priorities and then make sure that the solution that you are trying to provide actually addresses a, a real need and if that is the case then you will have a seat on the, at the table people will listen to you but if you're just saying hey we should do this or should do that and no one feels that you are addressing a real problem it will come to deaf ears, right? So you're just going to be frustrated. You're going to be frustrated and everyone else will be frustrated. So cool. Excellent. So I would like to thank very much everyone that was on uh, live with us, asking questions uh, and making this chat far more enjoyable because it's, it's, far, it's really, really cool to, to go through all your questions, all your comments um, and be able to, to address them as you ask. And, and for everyone else, if you like the, this chat, remember to subscribe to our channel, uh, hit the like button, put on the comments which topic you'd like us to discuss, and I hope to see you next time. So thank you very much, everyone. Good night. Thank you, everyone. Take care.